Yeah. But hey, thank you so much for being here this morning. It's good to be together as a family worshiping our creator, our sustainer, our savior. And uh, so excited to be here to continue this morning. Uh, we're going to start off uh, this morning. I need, I need two volunteers. I mean, I need two volunteers. So, so all right. Okay, Jake. And, and Rick. Okay, up here. Okay. All right. So what we're going to do is we're going to start off this morning with the good old-fashioned game of tug-of-war. Okay? So... You're bigger than me, but I got this. Oh, someone's feeling salty this morning. All right, there we go. Um, So it's not just these two. Yeah, there we go. Um, We got the country boy right here. We got the Coast Guard guy right over here. We got, you know, all sorts of different types of strength going on. But it's not going to be just you two. You each get to pick four. You guys get to pick. So because he's on the worship team, we're going to make him pick last. You get the first four picks. Out of anybody in this room... We got a bunch of strong moms in here. We got a, a collegiate football lineman over here. We got... Anybody that wants to, just come on up. Oh, hey. That's pretty gutsy. Just, okay, we got Ryan. Okay, we got Keith over here. Got two more. We got Gabe. By the way, Billy, uh, Billy just ran 100 miles, so you're over here. So a week ago... <laughs> Okay, all right. Okay, yeah, come on up, Billy. Come on, come on. All right, Rick, who... I don't need him. You're sure? I'm sure. I you're sure? I am positive. I don't need him. Put two more over there. <laughs> you get two more. Pick two more. I flew in Alaska, man. <laughs> Pam, where's Pamela? <laughs> oh, that's why we're getting... Okay, there we go. All right. Okay, okay. Two more. Come on up here. He said two more. We're going to take him at his word. Here we go. Okay. Okay. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. One more. One more. There we go. Oh, hey, let's go. Let's go. Come on. Come on. Oh, this is the secret here. Okay, ready? Okay, so go ahead and come this way just a little bit. Come this. Come. Come. Let him come this way. Let him come this way. We're gonna. We're gonna give him just a little bit. Okay, everybody, have a hold over here. By the way, this to, this tow rope has has. Has towed, oh, Drew isn't up here, so he's not going to be. This has towed his Dodge Dakota, so it's legit. It's, it's like I hold it. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Who, who's putting their money on, on Team Allred right here? That, that one? Come on. Let's, let's audibly, whose money is with the Allred team right here? What? You have a. Wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. This is going to be the zone right here. If, if his hand touches my, my hand right here, you. Okay. My knuckle hair is touching yours. This is awkward. There we go. Okay. All right. Okay. Help me count him in on three. Two, one. That was that was awful. Boo! Let's give him a round of applause right over here. Okay, all right, okay, all right. There we go. There we go. You can't you can't blame a guy for trying, right? There we go. Oh my gosh! I don't know what just happened right there, but that's I. Wow! Wow! 
Okay, that was a little bit silly, right? I mean, I mean, you, you, at this point, you're kind of like, either Rick is super delusional or, or I put him up to this, right? Yeah, I put him up to it, right? He's, he's actually one of the most humble, kind, like, ah, oh, shucks, I just turned this gigantic bowl out of, you know, rotten, you know, driftwood. <laughs> like, no, he's incredibly talented, but he's also incredibly humble, so don't, don't judge him by his display of pridefulness right there. But, but that's, that's the thing, though, right? Like, like, that's what pride does, is it makes us kind of delusional. To where we think, ah, oh, come on over here. It's, it's like we just get so puffed up that we think that we can take on the world on our own. We become the center of our own universes, right? That's what pride does. That's what sin does. That sinful nature doesn't want to share any credit, any glory, any honor, any power. We don't want to share it, let alone give it completely up. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Last week, uh, we, we talked about how the life and the kingdom, the king wants our heart, not just for us to go through the, the, the motions, right? We talked about how, how Jesus turned the law on its head, and all of a sudden, now it makes sense that it's the heart behind all these things instead of just going through the religious motions. And so this morning, we're going to be looking in, in, in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to see more examples of this tug-of-war battle between um, between our, our sinfulness and our pride and, and our surrender to Christ as king in some new and subtle ways. We're going to jump right in here this morning. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus says, Watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. That word good deeds literally means righteousness or right acts. Like he says, don't go out and do good things in front of everybody to be admired. That Greek word admired means uh, theomai. It means to be seen, to be noticed. That's where we get the word theater from, right? Don't turn your good deeds into theatrics, right? It's acting, right? Like we're just playing the part so that everybody sees how good we are. People can do righteousness but if it's for themselves, the temporary praise and applause is all the reward we get. We forfeit the approval of our Father in heaven because we're willing to trade it for the temporary applause, uh, the, the temporary applause of the people around us. And then he continues in verse 2. When you give to someone in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth. They have received all the reward they will ever get. There again, he says, don't go out and do your good deeds as an active theater to be admired. But then he also says, don't give money to the poor in a way that calls attention to. The Greek word for calls attention to is doxaza, or doxaza, which basically means doxa, which is glory. Don't bring glory and honor and praise to yourself, right? Now, what was interesting was that at that day and time, um, they didn't have a welfare system. If you needed money, you just went out and either worked for it or you begged. And so what they got really good at was it was kind of like, hey, this is a win-win situation because the, the beggars would literally sit outside of the synagogues and they would, they would have this phrase, bless yourselves by giving to me. That's kind of sly, right? They knew how to get people to give, appeal to the best interest of the giver. 
And so it wasn't giving a gift. It was earning something by me giving it to you. I get the glory. I get the praise. I get the, the honor from this, right? It wasn't generosity. It was wage earning. And I love it because he says, don't go around blowing a trumpet. He's like, doo, 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 I give you a dollar, right? And that's where we get the phrase today, don't toot your own horn, right? Like he says, don't draw attention to yourself with the things that you do, verses three and four. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. We need to check our motives. If we wouldn't do it, if, it would never, if, if we would never, if no one would ever know and we refuse to do it, then I think that's the answer of our motives, right? If we can do it in secrecy, in privacy, and in anonymity, then, then we're probably doing it out of the right heart. Verse 5, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, this is all the reward they will ever get. See a pattern developing here? He's talking about don't uh, do your good deeds, don't give to the poor, and don't pray in a way that draws attention to ourselves. Public prayer was a very uh, core part of that culture, that religion. Now, Jesus is not saying don't play, pray publicly, right? Because he prays publicly. He calls people to pray publicly as a church. Out, you know, He prays constantly, but it's the motive behind it. Um, it's kind of funny because when I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma, they, they, they would pack out the high school gym and they would always have the youth pastors come and give an opening prayer and a closing prayer. And we'd always fight because we just were pretty sure that it was just their attempt to get the youth pastors dressed up in a suit and a tie, like, like, like trained, you know, pets and, and give a good prayer, you know. And, and it was just awkward because everybody was kind of judging. Hmm, do I want to go to the Baptist church or the MB church or the Methodist church? or Which one? Do I, which, which youth pastor prays better publicly? It was just awkward. It was just really weird. It just felt kind of showy to me, and I didn't like it. So I would get up, and I would just talk to Jesus. I didn't write anything out. I just talked to Jesus. And it was kind of like, well, you're all listening to this intimate conversation I'm having with Jesus, so please bear with me, right? It was just kind of, kind of weird. There was nothing terribly wrong about it. But it was just so easy to, to, uh, to do it in a public display. Again here, he uses a third and different Greek word here to draw attention to. It says, where everyone can see, it's phaino, which means to shine a light on, to be in the spotlight. It says, don't pray so that you get your 15 seconds of, of, of fame, right? Like, just don't do that. This, this week in the news, I saw there was this YouTuber who was in his airplane and, and he, was, he was flying out over the mountains, and all of a sudden his engine quit, and he, he, he bailed out of the airplane, and the airplane crashed, and he came down and fell in the bushes and stuff like that. And what was crazy is that he was videoing the whole thing, right? He had, he had a, a camera mounted on the, on the door side of his airplane, showing the door. It was on the tail to kind of show like that. He had all these cameras set up, on his airplane that kind of filmed the whole thing, the engine shutting off, um, him uh, opening up the door before the engine shut off, him grabbing a selfie stick right before he bailed out, and oh, he just so happened to be wearing a parachute, um, and, and uh, as he bails out, he's, he's kind of making sure he's in the frame of the selfie stick all the way down as he's like, oh, this is terrifying. <laughs> and then he falls down into the bushes. He goes, oh, I just, I, this is so bad. Like I have this gruesome, you know, I have this gruesome wound on my finger and I have a scratch on my arm and I'm just, 
I'm just, I'm just so glad to be alive. I would never wish this experience on my worst of enemies. And, and he goes and he just films the whole thing. Well, he got 3 million views on that. And all of a sudden, people started realizing, oh, he propped the door open before the engine stopped. He had a selfie stick. Because, of course, who wouldn't grab their selfie stick as they're jumping out to save their lives out of a dead plane? <laughs> and, and it's very normal behavior to have a parachute on, right, as you're flying, right? Because that's just normal. Um, and, then, and then the whole thing was staged. Well, he just got sentenced for 20 years in prison because of all the damage that he caused to the public lands, to all the rescue efforts to go get him and everything like that. You tell me, is 20 years in prison worth 3 million views on a staged YouTube uh, thing? No. But he got his 15 seconds of glory, right? He got the 3 million views. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Don't pray. Don't do your works. Don't give in a way that it brings, like, look how good I am. Look how holy I am. Then he says in verses 6 through 8, But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Now what's cool is that he literally is saying that the word for uh, the, the word that's used here is kind of like an inner storage room. What they had was they kind of had like, like uh, uh, mud and brick homes and so people could could dig through, and if you had stuff in there, they would literally kind of burrow a hole through there, and they would reach in and grab anything they could. So what they would do is, in the middle of the home, they would build a safe room, like a storage room, to put your food, your valuables, things like that. It was just a storage closet in the middle of the room. And he's saying, go into that room, because that way nobody's going to see you. They weren't going to hear you through the window. They're not going to see you like, oh, Jesus, oh, Jesus. It's, it's private. It's not glorious. It's personal. It's intimate. And then he says in verse 7, when you pray, don't babble on like the babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. This word babble literally means there was this ancient practice of where they would say a word or a name or a list of names. They basically had a rehearsed ritual that they would say over and over and over again because they thought, if I do things just exactly right, then God will answer me. I'm going to encant him to do what I want him to do. He says, don't babble on. God already knows what you need before you ask him. Then we're going to skip down to verses 16 through 18. He says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and uh, disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast comb your hair, and wash your face. Then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private, and your father who sees everything will reward you. Again, don't make it look like, oh, you okay? Yeah, I'm fasting. I'll, I'll survive. It's just, I'm just giving this great effort for God, and, and he's going to reward me one of these days, and you're going to reward me too because you're going to feel like so bad for me, and like, oh, wow, Jason's doing a fast, and wow, you know. Don't do that. Don't even let anybody know that you're fasting, right? I had a, I had a buddy that he's, he's done several 40-day fasts, and, and I didn't even know about it until afterwards, and it took a lot of prying. You know, because he was like, oh, you know, I just kind of, this is what God has taught me. He was really humble about it, you know? Fasting, it was meant for repentance. It was meant for grief. It was meant for surrendering humility and devotion to God. 
When we do that as an act of show and, and like trying to get there, again, he uses the word admire, phaino, the temporary, spotlight, spot, the temporary spotlight is their only reward. Instead, do it to and for God and him alone. Then Jesus turns uh, with the rest of the chapter um, to how we handle things like possessions, food, drink, and clothing in um, the rest of the chapter here, verses 19 um, on. Don't store, up for your, uh, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light to your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. Verse 25, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable than, to him than they are? Can your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work to make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they were. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about the th these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, for your fa heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Jesus is so practical here. He takes our everyday existence, everyday emotions and experiences that we have, and he says, don't worry about this stuff. Where is our focus? Is it on earthly things or is it on eternally and eternal and heavenly things? Because where we put our treasure, that's where our heart is going to be, right? This whole dynamic of this, this battle, this tug of war, if you will, is captured in what Jesus says in verse 24. I skipped over that, and that's intentional. Because this is such a critical key here. It says, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's the tug of war. We have two dogs, right, that are in our hearts and our minds. And, and we can say, oh, I want, I want these two kings. I want these two gods. We can only really worship one thing in our life. We can't, we can't fool ourselves to think that we are going to worship multiple gods in our life. We only truly worship one thing. It's either God or other things. One will always win. One will always lose. This section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he's trying to get us to look at our motives because they reveal what our real master is. Look at what Jesus uses here, right? Good deeds, giving, prayer, fasting, possessions, etc. These can all be really good things. They aren't inherently bad things. 
They, that, and that's the, that's the genius of, of temptation, right? Is that, is that Satan can still use really good things to, to consume us, to, to blind us, to, to, to get us to fixate and focus on. But it's not God. It's, it's the created thing instead of the creator. And then look at the motives here. To be seen, to be praised, to be focused on. Basically, we use God to get what we want and what only belongs to him. Galatians 1.10. Am I trying to serve God or am I trying to serve man? Because if I'm serving man, I'm not serving God. It's one or the other. So how do we engage with this battle, right? Like he, he spells out this whole battle of all these different things. I want to be at the center. I want to be the king. I want to be sovereign. I wanted this. I want, I want, I want. And it's all focused on me. So how do we do the battle? Well, Jesus gives us an answer. Pray the right way, not the selfish way, right? I love this. If you guys noticed, I skipped over a chunk here. Verse 9. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Let's pick this apart. Our Father. He's a Father. He has authority. He has power. But it's our Father. He's, he's my father, he's your father. There is a level of intimacy and, and personalness here, right? He has power, but he's also personal. He's intimate. May your name be kept holy. Name is, is all that we are. It's not just the name of God. Name is something bigger in this culture. It's, it's literally the essence of who you are, the essence of your being. May it be kept holy, set apart, unique, other than. So it's recognizing that God is bigger than us. He is better than us. He is more than us. He is the creator. We are the created, right? And so it's the shift from praise, honor, and glory from us to him. That is so huge. Then in verse 10, may your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is, as it is in heaven. This word kingdom literally means royal power, kingship, dominion, rule. May your rule, your dominion, your power come, show itself, reveal itself, come into being, right? And your will, that word will means uh, thelema. It means desire, pleasure, purpose, choice. Whatever God chooses, that's what I want to happen. It's a surrendering to God's will, his motives, what he wants. Even if it doesn't make sense, even if, if I feel gypped in this, right? I want to know if a million bucks would corrupt me or not. You know, like, I, I want that. Like, just give me the chance to prove you wrong, God. Right? Please. Well, that's my motives right there, right? Like, like no, if, if God wants me to be a good steward of the, what he, whatever he does give me, right? Skill-wise, financial-wise, resource-wise, whatever. And then he says, make it on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we want to pray, God, you are holy. We're going to praise you. We're going to worship you. And may your kingdom and your will be done. I want what you want to happen. I want that to be ushered in. Verse 11. And give us today the food we need. That's it. 
Now, what's cool, though, is that food, in, in some translations, it means it's the word for bread, but, but bread can be literal and it can be symbolic, right? It can be figurative. And basically, he's saying, just give me today whatever it is that I need for today. I want more, but God, I just know that you're going to take care of me. Even when I don't know how to take my next breath, God, you are going to sustain me. You're going to give me provision. And if you don't, then I get to see you face to face. It's a win-win. For to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if today's my day, whether it be however it might be, I get to see God. I don't lose, right? In fact, I beat y'all because I get to see God before you do. Do we have that same, like, hold it loosely? Or do we get caught in this grip of fear and, and control and obsession and, and worry, right? Then in verse 12, it says, And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin, us, uh, sin against us. And then in verse 14 and 15, it says, If you forgive those who sin against you, your Father in heaven will also forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. In other words, he's saying, I want to forgive. The word there is uh, a fiami, and it means to send away, to let go, to leave alone, to give up. He says, well, I, the, the debts, the sins that others have committed against me, am I holding on to those? Am I, am I, am I just like holding on to that list? Am I, in my mind, in my heart, am I rehearsing those things over and over again? Or am I saying, I want to send them away? I want to ship him out of here. I want to let go. I don't ever want to think about it again. That's what we're called to pray. We're, we're, we're called to forgive. That, that idea of sins and debts, it's like we owe someone something, but then it also says, are we willing to forgive what, what others owe us? He's getting kind of disruptive here, isn't he? If we forgive, we're released. If we don't forgive, we not only keep the other person on the hook, but we keep ourselves on the hook too. That's the genius of unforgiveness. That is the destructiveness of unforgiveness. It's not just, I don't want to let that person off of this. Well, guess what? There's, there's two hooks going on here. You leave them on the hook, but they still have control over you. That offense still has control over you. How could I forgive? That was so awful. Well, if you don't forgive, you stay under that. You allow that to control you. And if you don't think that's true, how many times have you woken up and the first thing in the morning, you have your mind going through that argument of justifying yourself, of accusing that other person. There's all these conversations that you have in your head 24-7, that is what unforgiveness looks like. If we don't let go, it won't let go of us. Verse 13, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Basically, we just, we, we're to ask God, we're to ask Jesus that when we are tested, please give us the strength to stand up underneath that. And then it says, rescue us, deliver us, remove us, take us away from that testing, that temptation. And then some manuscripts include kind of the, the famous, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It reiterates that Jesus is king. This is his kingdom. He is king, Lord, and he is sovereign. So look at this prayer, right? It starts off with praise and worship, and then it focuses, focuses on aligning ourselves and this world to him and his will and his kingdom. 
And then we close out with some requests, right? I want to pray for my physical needs, for the spiritual struggles, things like that. It's really simple. And he says, you can pray this prayer, but basically just have this. Worship God, align our lives to him, and then just pray for the things that we're struggling with right now. It's pretty simple. That's all prayers. I don't know how to pray. Well, praise God, align ourselves to him, and then let him know our requests, right? And then this chapter 6 closes out with a great section here, verses 33 and 34. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. (sighs) Should I repeat that again? Don't worry about tomorrow, because we have enough worries for today. Tomorrow is going to come. Let's just take today and know that Jesus is our king. He loves us. What's so interesting is that this word, seek first the kingdom of God, that seeking literally means zeteo. It means to crave, to aim at, to strive after, to dwell, to meditate. Just think, whatever it is that you've been hunting for on Amazon or on eBay or on Facebook Marketplace... How, how often do we just open up our computer and just immediately, like, like uh, I'm looking for a car for Carter and Coulson right now. What are, what's going on? Like, there will be time. I'm going to throw my wife under the, uh, it's Mother's Day. It's okay. It's okay. She gave me, she gave me permission. I'll, like, we're, we're, like, we're, like, going to bed, and she's like, what about this car? What about this car? I was like, babe, we don't have the money. Like, stop. Let me go to bed. We'll worry about it tomorrow. Come on. Right here, babe. Come on. Um, there you go. I don't, I don't recommend what I just did there. I just... I did it to see if you would see how wrong I was. Um, But you know what I mean? Like, how obsessive can we be with whatever we're pursuing at the time? And, And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek God and his will and his kingdom. Look at the things that he wants to happen here on this earth and arrange my life around that instead. So often we seek after the things that tell us what we already want to hear. We, 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 te- we, we seek after the things that want to reinforce what we already have in our minds. Instead, we need to restructure our entire lives around God, his kingdom, his will, his desire. What is the central driving force of your life? Now, we can say all sorts of different things, right? We can give the correct answer. But you know what? There's a quick pop quiz that helps us to know what really it is. And he tells us right in this passage, it's this word called worry. Worry will reveal what our real desire is, what our real savior is, what our real kingdom that we're pursuing is. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus flipped the law on its head to show the intent of the law, the codes, the agendas, everything like that, right? He, he says, hey, these, this is what it's all about, but yet we obsess about these things. And we worry about them. That should show us that maybe our faith is being placed elsewhere in the created thing instead of the creator. And he, and he talked about how we talked last week about how that becomes a yoke or a heavy burden. And we, we adapt all these other things into our relationship to where that takes over our relationship instead of Jesus himself. 
There's a really, really powerful quote from David Johnson and Jeff Van Bondren. It's kind of a longer one, so you can read up here with me. It's also on your, it's also on your page. It says this, the words heavy laden refer to that process in which an external force, whether it be performance or acceptance or praise or spotlight or whatever it might be, has placed a burden or weight on the people. The word weary refers to those in the act of working themselves to the point of exhaustion. It is important to see that, once again, despite their ceaseless efforts, the weariness only grows. Trying hard only makes things worse. The truth is that this type of false spirituality offers a God who does not lift burdens and who places upon people burdens that are even worse. Religion always teaches that you can get to God by doing something. Your good standing with God depends on what you do. Do the law, perform religion, do it right, look good, try hard. But Jesus plus anything is not Jesus. Preoccupation with spiritual performance often results in a tendency towards extremes of self-righteousness or shame. Self-righteousness, a sense of spiritual superiority based on your own behavior, and judgmentalism, a, spirit, a sense of spiritual authority, a superiority based on someone else's behavior, indicate performance-based lifestyle. Another indicator is perfectionism, or a need to, for situations and relationships to be just so. This is often accompanied by a high level of anxiety based upon external circumstances and an urge to control what people do and how things turn out. Shame, the flip side of self-righteousness, is also a result of a performance-based mentality. Shame is a sense of inferiority, a negative self-assessment, and an, an indictment on your own personhood. It results from experiencing relationships where love and acceptance are based upon behaviors and where the constant message is that you don't measure up. That's a long quote. <laughs> Everything I ever learned in preaching school said, don't read such a long quote. <laughs> but I just did it, because I don't care. <laughs> we need to hear this. I've been a part of this. I, I, I've worked myself to the bone. I've been told I wasn't enough. I've been told I need to do better. I've been told I don't have what it takes. I can't cut it. I'm too square. I blah, blah, blah. I've, I've heard this stuff. And over time, those things, those things kind of find root in the soil of the insecurity that I've struggled with, right? And if I can't do things just perfectly, well, then maybe God isn't happy with me. Maybe, maybe God doesn't approve of me. Maybe you've been told the same thing. Maybe you've been told you're not worthy unless you give this, do this, wear this, don't do this. If you do that, well, you're a terrible person, right? Jesus loves you. He doesn't want your performance. He doesn't want the sacrifice. He doesn't want you to, to, to try to measure up. These guys also write a fantastic book called Tired of Trying to Measure Up. It really spoke to me. But it was the joy of the relationship with my creator. That at the end of the day, I knew no matter what was in my bank account, no matter how I was doing in my job, no matter how, what I had done that day or the week before or the year before, Jesus's orientation was towards me. This week I was reading in, in Gentle and Lowly, 
it talked about how in the old legal system, cleanliness avoided uncleanliness because it didn't want to become uncleanly, right? And that was a struggle that Jesus walked into. They were like, you just touched that leper. You just touched that prostitute. You just touched that traitor. You're drinking with them, eating with them, laughing with them, loving them. You're going to become filthy. You're going to become dirty. And he said, no, 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 no. Because I'm the Savior. I am a clean thing that makes dirty things clean. He doesn't shy away from us. He doesn't avoid us and say, if you can't get your stuff together, I'm done with you. He says, you can't get your stuff together. Can I walk in this with you? Guys, this revolutionized my understanding of who I am as a human being, as a follower of Jesus, my relationship with him. That is what I want each one of us to experience. No matter if you have been walking with the Lord for years and you can't get quite past this, if you've been told that you have to measure up, if you have to do this, if you have to do that, if, if you have to pray the right prayer, if you have to give the right amount of money, if you have to go through all the things that, are, that, that good people do, and you're always wondering, do I, have I done enough? Instead, there's a freedom there. There's a joy there. Jesus didn't die on the cross to make us better people. He made us alive. He, he delivered us to freedom. That's what the good news of Jesus is about. That's what this passage is about. Don't try to replace Jesus. Don't try to, to earn what he's already given us. It's kind of like the, the, the kids are like, hey, look what I made for you. Look what I made for you. Do you love me now? It's sort of like, yeah, I loved you long before you made this goofy little thing for me, right? <laughs> like, like that's, 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 he's like, I already loved you. I already gave you my acceptance. So here's the big idea this morning, is that in the kingdom of heaven, only Jesus is king. In the kingdom of heaven, only Jesus is king. There's this temptation to try to replace him, which we can't because only God is God. Good luck thinking that we can do God's job better for, than him, right? I've tried over the years from time to time, more times than I'd like to admit, but I've tried to do God's job better than him, and it never works. That's the spoiler alert. If you're on that journey, let me pop the bubble right now. It won't work. Stop trying. Let God be God. Let Jesus be king. But then the flip side of that, though, is then we're trying to earn the approval of Jesus. And he says, I already gave it to you. I already gave it to you. Don't try to earn horizontally what we've already been given vertically. So this week, moving from belief to action, knowing to doing. One thing. I invite each one of us this week, to either have a note in our Bible or to print it out or to write it out wherever we're going to see this every day. Put it on your bathroom mirror, put it on your car, put it I, I don't, I don't, wherever you are going to see it every day. Pray through this prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And focus. God, I want to worship you today. I want to worship you. You are the God. You are the creator of all things. I want your name to be holy. I want it to be honored in my life. Everything that I do, I want you to be honored. I want, I want you to get the glory, right? 
And then I want my life, I want my life to align with your will, with your kingdom. I, I want to be in line with what you're doing. And then last, talk about the physical needs and the spiritual struggles. Can we do that this week? My prayer is that as we do this, we will see God in a new way. And, and if there's other, th if there's things that kind of creep their way into our thoughts, maybe it's stuff that we've been told over the years, um, well, that's not enough. You know, you got to do this. You got to, no, 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 no. <laughs> Just focus on worshiping him, right? Just focus on worshiping him because he loves you. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this passage today. Thank you that, um, thank you that you call us to yourself. God, I thank you that, that you are the king, that this is your kingdom. God, we get to simply be citizens in that kingdom. We get to glorify the king. We get to listen to the king. We get to surrender to the king. We get to, to obey the king. God, we don't have to, to muster up whatever it is on our own, but instead, God, we just want to be obedient and faithful to you. God, if we are struggling with worry, if we don't see joy, if we see these things, God, help us to see where that's coming from. God, to identify the things that are pulling us away from that simple relationship from you, with you. God, if there's anything offensive in us, reveal it. Point out anything that's not in line with you. But God, more importantly, lead us in your way everlasting. Lead us in the path of life. God, we want to find our lives in you. We want to surrender all that we are to you. God, so this morning in this last song, God, to speak to us. If there's anything on our hearts, on our minds, things we're holding on to, things that are holding on to us, God, that we would just surrender that to you. God, you love us and you gave everything for us. We thank you so much. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.